Four Noble Truths taught by the Buddha provide a uh, a reference to make use of one who's interested in in liberation. So this is not really uh, this is is not something that you do, it's not really a technique or or instruction in in that sense, it's like these, these are markers and signposts that you look out for and uh, as you recognize them you know how to what kind of inflection of the heart is required so these particularly become useful as, as one has developed meditation and one begins to understand um, you know, the, the, the ways of the heart the inflections of the heart when to how to relax when to investigate when to let go of something how to to um, contemplate and stay with a thought or a feeling and really know it thoroughly and know how you relate to that. Um, so these Four Noble Truths are a kind of a, a tool kit for, for, that, for the path when a, as one has developed it, um, as well as being a kind of a, a preliminary in a way, a kind of indication of the nature of the path and as it's towards um, understanding the unsatisfactoriness in our life, to, to registering that, to, to coming to terms with that, to acknowledging that, and then to towards finding a way out of that through cultivation, through direct application and cultivation. So that, if you like, is the kind of the basic um, statement which we can relate to, and then, um, so the Buddha first taught, taught it like that, said this is the, to, to witness these things, so that it gives us a kind of focus uh, on our actions and our energies, in a way it sets up a path. So if one is, uh, is experiencing uh, irritation and confusion in life, or, you know, and, and getting angry about the state of this or that or the other, and, and disappointed with this person and that person, then the first thing we recognize is, well, wait a minute, rather than them and that and this and that, why don't I look at this? Is, this is, this is uh, unsatisfactoriness, isn't it? You know, so it's that kind of way it indicates a path rather than, well, you know, get rid of him, do that to her, get rid of that, make it this way, make it that way, um, as a kind of just a uh, a reaction to to uh, to things not being the way one wants them to be. First of all, is that kind of to make it a spiritual path means that instead of just pushing everything around and trying to make everything the way you want it to be, wait, this is that. This is that sign of of dukkha of unsatisfactoriness. Um, so it's like uh, um, pointing to 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 our own responses to things. Perhaps my response is something that needs to be altered. Um, you know, it's that, that first hint. That's my expectations, out of, um, what I expect out of life, need to be reviewed. 
maybe the way I go about doing things. If I'm hasty or impatient or pessimistic or cynical, perhaps those things need to be reviewed. So we can, sometimes we can, when we experience things not going the way we want them to be, we can just get in a huff or hasty or in a hurry. Or we can think, oh, this is impossible, I can't do this and give up. So, so it just indicating this, there is this dukkha and then there's a way out of it through cultivating. It's not through just reacting one way or another by saying everything is unsatisfactory, don't bother, or by saying, I'm going to get the way I, make it the way I want it to be. We, uh, those are these kind of just reflexes. Then instead we think there is a cultivation to be done, something to be cultivated. And this, this doesn't mean that necessarily we're saying things are going to work out right or things are not going to work out right. It's not a, so instead of being that kind of end game goal orientation, it's process oriented. Saying, well, whether things work out well or don't work out well in the end, how do you go about relating to that? Do you actually cultivate right thought, right speech, right action, right effort, right livelihood, right mindfulness? Right collectedness in that in your in your in your um, in your ways of doing things. So um, just the other few days ago, I was working on building a stone wall, and uh, you know this, this is something I'm not particularly familiar with. So I'm not don't know how to do this really, and so I was working with Venerable Nipako. We were just trying to get this work on this thing. And, of course, you've got the notion of wall, build build this wall, get it done, get it up there. And you don't know how to do it, actually. Get some stones, and then you have to... These, some of these stones are not all that amenable to being made into a wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so then you, you've got a kind of whole array of tools. You can use hammers and saws and chisels and things like that. But then... You know, of course, uh, stone is not always that amenable to being having tools. It splinters or shatters or resists them. So you can spend a whole day really not, not actually building any wall at all, but just breaking up bits of stone, um, find, wondering why the power's blown, uh, how to operate this tool, what kind of tool to use, uh, and so on. And that, that, that if you're always practicing, one recognizes rather than oh, I can't do this, this is a waste of time, impossible, useless, or we've got to get this done, you've got to crack it out, but, hmm, you know, this is something to just bring forth, right uh, right view, right thought, right speech, right, right activity, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right collectedness around. So then at the end of the day, you, you have cultivated something. And... You know, the, if you like, the, the wall takes second place to that. And you can use these sort of physical tasks or worldly activities as ways in which you you don't have a fixed position over where everything's going to work out right or everything's not going to work out right. But you use it to cultivate path factors so that you, f- you feel you've actually made use of a day, you've made use of work, made use of, of relationships to bring forth what's good and, and, and uh, sustaining in yourself. This is very important. So, when you look at it like that, the, the completion of the Four Noble Truths is the dukkha, or unsatisfactoriness and cessation of it, and the fulfillment of a path. Mm-hmm. You look at it in, in, in a kind of as, as a complete thing, it's not making a statement like, everything's unsatisfactory, don't bother. It's not, the dukkha is not a, a kind of a, a, a political or philosophical statement, nor is it um, you've got there shouldn't be any dukkha, get rid of it, uh, you know, or, or, or things have got to work out well in, in that sense. But really, how to cultivate it so that one in one's own heart, uh, it takes you into the heart as to what do I expect? How do I react to difficulties? How do I respond to things working out different? or going even just not progressing as quickly as I'd like them to do. How do I relate to that? Things that you think, oh, a five-minute job, and in fact it takes a week. Mm-hmm. 
And this is so. This this is kind of um, helps you to 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 live in the world without always getting upset about it all. Similarly, when these things and these four noble truths are applied to the spiritual path, then they help us to to if you like to to understand uh, and monitor our responses to building our spiritual path. Do you expect it to take a... Is it a five-minute job? Do you get impatient? Things aren't going as quickly as you'd like them to. You know, you can read a meditate, and you can read a two pages of meditation booklet from which a person goes from being a complete adult twit into being an arahant. <laughs> and if, you know... To, doesn't take you very long at all. And then, you know, you think, well, why can't I? I've been doing this for three years. Why can't I do it? Three years is a long time, isn't it? It's long enough, isn't it? Ten years? Fifteen years? Yeah. That, that there's a, a... You know, still... We, the, the one is kind of relating to it very much in, in like the way one would get upset over how long it takes to build a wall. Or has end gates about getting it finished. And all kinds of um, judgments about oneself. If one doesn't get it done in, in a week or a year or a lifetime or whatever. So... But in terms of the, the practice of the Four Noble Truths, you begin to recognize, well, that the sign of dissatisfaction is something that you to respond to, to see, you know, that, that first of all, that when this, this kind of experience happens to you, how you relate to it, how you react to that. Do you create more out of it? Or do you, do you realize a, a way of of cultivating the path, cultivating the cessation of suffering around that. In other words, when you experience dukkha, do you actually start, do you just get tense and exasperated and pushy? Or do you get miserable and mopey and cynical? Or do you think, hmm, there's something to be learned here? What are my expectations? What are my energies about? What have I not seen? What would be a skillful thing to do? What kind of factors are absent? What kind of factors are present? What would be the best way to, to cultivate and strengthen the factors that, that are absent? What would be the best way to enjoy and gladden the mind by realizing the factors that are present? Mm-hmm. So that, that one actually enters a process that isn't just a, a kind of, a, you know, a, a simplistic thing, but something you have to be aware around. So when the Buddha, in his first sermon, he first of all ex- taught the, um, you know, the, ex- the experience of how dukkha, the kind of things where dukkha manifests, unsatisfactoriness manifests, pain, disease, death, the uncertainty of, of entering a, a realm, a birth is unsatisfactory, you know, getting into a... a born into a state which continually requires nourishment, uh, protection, um, uncertainty, vulnerability, fear, and need. This is unsatisfactory. Um, pain, death, these kind of things. And then the very um, psychological makeup of, of the body and mind is subject to this, is something that doesn't satisfy. Body is something that he experiences uh, is, um, is vulnerable. Their mental feel- feelings are pleasant, painful or neutral. They're painful, they're, on, they're things we don't want. They're neutral, they're things we lose interest in. If they're pleasant, they don't last long enough and we want to have more of them. So these kind of um, ways of of, of reflecting on just the, the situation we're in. And then how do we relate to that? 
What do we do with our bodies when they're, they're sick or painful or weak? What do we do with them? Do we just kind of blot it all out and ignore it? Do you just kind of willfully steamroll over it all? Or do you whimper and whinge about it? Or kind of expect, you know, get obsessive about it in one way or another or dismissive about it in one way or another? What? You know, can we relate to, to the body as it is? And not to the body as an abstract thing, but to your very own body, your, your body with what, it, what it's like now. So that instead of making, you know, either dismissing it, you know, or, or kind of desperately trying to make it into something that isn't, just how to, to contemplate that, that body as it is. So that out of that, we relate to that in a way in which the mind learns to be uh, mindful, to inquire, to investigate to contemplate things, and if, so that the mind, the awareness, is able to to find, and through that cultivation, of this, the freedom from dukkha, even within the plane, the realm of dukkha. So, this is the kind of how the, the dukkha, the and the cessation of dukkha come together in the same same place. And this is why his teaching is so precious in a way. The Tathagata is the one, the, the the one who comes into this world. This this is a continual refrain. Buddhas arise in the world. The Tathagata, which means the transcendent one, the gone beyond one, is the one who's come in manifested into this particular physical, um, vulnerable, um, fallible situation. Mm. One of the chants that we do has this very nice refrain in it. Um, All the Buddhas are awakened in the world by knowing it exactly as it is. So they're not in some other world. They're not in some kind of, some place else. They're they're awakened in this world, in this situation, through knowing it as it is, not through expecting it to be something, not through dreading it, not through dismissing it, not through having a view about it. You know, but by, by thoroughly knowing, and this way of knowing is like penetrating, fully experiencing, relating to it, feeling it out. Mm-hmm. And then so that the mind, the awareness, which is uh, our, our gift, uh, the freedom, is able to, to, to balance itself within this, this uh, form and find through the relinquishing aversion, ill will, despair, impatience, brutality, cynicism, doubt, restlessness, worry, tensions of various kinds, so relinquishing all that can realize freedom. And this Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta that the Buddha taught, the, mentioned the Four Noble Truths and then went into some detail. He mentioned the Four Noble Truths to, to bring up and explain or point to the, the factors of the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, that, that path, right view, right thought, that is the, that our deliberate intending thought, the way we, way we um, direct our minds, not just the, the the thought or the kind of patter, chit chat of the mind, but what you do, deliberately direct your your thinking and you conceive is is right, is helpful. Don't waste your time thinking of pointless things or or even in harmful ways. So sustaining a mind that think that whose thought conception is stained with malice or stained with despair stained with worry or stained with contempt or stained with with uh, vanity mm. and these this so this these factors the right view to, to recognize that, that that there is that the, the very way in which we we think and conceive things 
has its results. There's the laws of karma, and the most powerful karmic effects are those created by the mind. These are the most intimate, the most uh, they're right in the in the uh, the, general, uh, the headquarters of your life is your mind. So the way you think, the topics you think of, and the way you think actually have their effects. This is this is really something to to be uh, responsible for to be, you know, to care, to care for oneself. If we continually think of things that topics that agitate us, make us feel fed up, make us feel life is pointless, and so on and so on and so on then just notice what the results are. If thinking of those things actually makes you feel, um, you know, purposeful, and, uh, and uh, then great, fine. But if it just makes you feel, what's the point, then you can see the result. It's not a, not a helpful one, is it? So the topics of thought, and so that when you uh, uh, absorb yourself into into you know, politics and economics and things of that nature, then it, it is a pretty um, kind of despairing realm to think in those terms. To be, you know, we can look at the human experience and its, and its problems in ways that are not political. This means it's not about, you know... Um, Chinese or Japanese or the Nigerians or the bad guys here or the good guys there, just about human beings and the problems of, of greed and fear and confusion. So then instead of a blaming mentality, we, we experience a, a mind that's com- com- more compassionate. And we can relate to the world because it's not really about Chinese and Japanese and Nigerians and Brazilians, it's about humans. And so you're one of those. And then they will actually consider, well, what I do then, I'm helping to, I'm going to do my part in, you know, adding to the, to the fear or the greed or the confusion. So this is, so even painful topics are things that, that you can approach in a, in a way that's more purposeful. So not just the topic, but the way the mind works around the topic. If we, think of things that continually abstract us, separate us, make us feel different, so we just adopt a view about people, a view about things, it's, it's out there. You know, so if you, you think of things in that way, then your thinking really does not touch your heart, it doesn't, it doesn't bring you into the picture. And it can be the case that, that we, we're quite fond of doing that. In a way, not wanting to be involved, not wanting our heart, own heart to be involved in the human predicament, but blaming this person and that person, and and feeling sort of separate from it all. As if we are kind of totally pure and wise and bright and holy, and 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 the forces of of self-interest and doubt don't affect us. Whereas a more helpful way to consider it is just to know what am I doing in this situation? What would I do? And so that one, the mind is then interested rather than dogmatic and forming views. So the way that you, way that you think about things is helpful. So you think about things that actually enable you to, to feel involved, feel that it's relevant to your own life, your own state. Otherwise there's not a lot of point in thinking about them. So we can cram our heads with all kinds of information and news, and yet, you know, it's just it's just an hour or so of of nothing much. And the end of it, you just put the paper down, switch the telly off, and <laughs> so where are you? <laughs> Nothing's happened, you know, in any any real sense. So to use thought reflectively. Is, is a skill. Take something and really consider it, consider a topic. This is more useful than just the idea of not thinking at all or of getting fascinated by thought, to use thought reflectively so it takes you to into your heart and mind to examine and consider um, your life, your practice, your, um, your own mind states.
and what thought and speech go together really they have much the same thing livelihood and effort are related they're in a way way, how do we um, cultivate how do we um, how do we act So, uh, so in a way, livelihood and effort are are what what do we direct us? What do we associate with? How do we go about keeping ourselves alive? Not just physically alive, but spiritually alive. What kind of food for the heart do we provide? Hmm. And then mindfulness and collectedness or concentration. The Eightfold Path. Meditation is something that will arise out of this out of this path quite naturally if you if you're reflective if you cultivate right view and right thought then <clears throat> meditation is just is, is is quite an obvious thing it's just actually extending that process the, the right view and the right thought take you into an examination which you, you you begin to calm down in order to look more clearly your, your attention refines you, you, you focus on particular things and sustain attention around things to see exactly what kind of mood or emotion or reaction is present. And then it becomes obvious to use a tool such as a meditation technique to strengthen that process. Meditation, so you have a meditation technique where you deliberately use the, the function of thought or the function of, of conceiving, directing the mind, and you, using an object such as the breath picking it up, and then how's this, examining it, how do I relate to that, am I impatient with it, am I disinterested in it, am I um, enjoying it, am I uh, doubtful about it, and then recognising these, these, these hindrances in the heart. So then, the four noble truths become uh, helpful for a, in, in, the medi- in the path of me- in the practice of meditation because you, you, it gives you the Buddha explained them in, in twelve different aspects to give you specific um, ways of dealing of relating to the, the ongoing development of the mind, the ongoing examination and penetration of the mind. So the first noble truth he explained as there is. Dukkha, dukkha is to be thoroughly known. And then, so just just to recognize that there is dukkha, this is, this is a kind of an enlightenment experience or a realization to see things in that, in that light so that you're not confused, you've got a definite register there of something. It's like this. And it's, there is dukkha rather than what am I doing wrong? Oh, it's that. It's that sign, not... How can I get it this way? Why am I not like that? When will I ever get to be like that? And why can't I do? No, there is dukkha. Is the is the realization? So then, so rather than just feeling blaming oneself or coming to a, a fixed position, it's it's an, it's an encouragement to investigate. So that's why it's, that's why it's an enlightenment experience, a realization experience. Is it leads onwards, it kind of opens and it leads on, rather than shuts you down into a feeling of some failure or throws you out into a state of confusion. There is there is this, and then dukkha is to be thoroughly known, which is a um, means it's not something to to be ashamed of, to to going to a panic about, but to thoroughly know it. Know it in the contemplative sense. Don't form ideas about it, but f- try to examine, explore it. You know, what's it caused by? What's, what's it feel like? Is it kind of 
an expectation that you're carrying or a grudge or some kind of tension that you're holding that's, that's limiting the mind? Or is it that your, your meditation object isn't working because you're not interested in it? There's other things you need to do. Sometimes it's like that. Dukkha is to be thoroughly known, understood, and then Dukkha has been thoroughly understood. This means uh, that one has learned how to, to respond to that experience. So when, when meditating and your meditation object you know, it's not working for you, then there's various things you can do, of course, like building the wall, you can either think, oh, I can't do this, you say, well, no. or push harder and try and do it and break everything, or think, hmm, what's this about? Maybe I need to soften here, or maybe I need to investigate this, or perhaps if I do something in mindfulness of breathing, maybe I need to sit in a different way so I can feel the breath more fully. Is my sitting posture correct? Yeah. Am I kind of crunched up? Is my spine extended? I, so that I get a breath is easy. Am I really with the, the act of breathing or am I just thinking about it? Can I feel the full exhalation? Or do I get halfway down and lose interest? Can I feel, feel the full inhalation? What happens if I deliberately extend the exhalation and the inhalation? What happens if I well, keep my eyes open? What happens if I stand for a little while and then sit again? This kind of working around it, like that. Or, is my mind so troubled that I really, I need to look at those things that trouble me? I need to work out, you know, other things in my life, that the mindfulness of breathing is not appropriate this particular time. It's appropriate in that it, it shows you things, other things you have to do. It's not a waste of time, but it's, it's saying, well, you know, you've got this particular grudge or this particular uh, concern that you have to deal with right now. Mm-hmm. Or at least consider right now. So it doesn't don't mean you necessarily have to act in that way, but you have to look at that. So if when you're meditating and you find yourself kind of continually in a funny mood, then the, 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 the process advice is, is you, you go back to the breath a few times and try working different ways around it, and then if you still can't, breath doesn't seem to be something your mind takes an interest in or wants to pick up on, okay, so what else, what's, what's, what's on the agenda? And you kind of relax, open up, start questioning, what do I want to do? Do I not want to do? Who's who's with me? You know, what kind of uh, what am I? Is it doubt? Uh, any kind of a uh, process of investigation, inquiry. You know, in those states, you in that state of of collectedness, which comes through focusing and. With the intention of one's mind, the mind is quite um, um, it's quite responsive, and you can you can examine it, you can question it. What what would you like to do right now? If you're not interested in meditation on the breath, what would you like to do right now? And whatever, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to make sense or be fair or decent even. Just so you get so the I'd like to run off to the Bahamas and eat lemon meringue pie and sit in a swimming pool. Something like that. <laughs> ah, okay. So So what's that about? You know? And then this may be just a, a kind of like an image that comes up a feeling that one needs to really to practice something that's more um, joyful relaxing or practice metta to oneself or you see so you don't, the image can just be a, a purely a metaphor for something that, that is required for factors that need to be required maybe we sometimes we don't 
properly attend to our physical requirements or our emotional requirements and kind of human um, requirements. And so in meditation is, part of meditation is about that. It's about acknowledging that and being able to fulfill those emotional or physical hungers, sensual hungers, with, with the mind, with mind cultivation. Or maybe there's just, you realize you've got some kind of grudge that you need to consider this, this person or this situation where you felt hard done by and really look into that, either right there at that particular time or at some other time, how you're feeling about it. And the sign is, is that when, when there is a, some kind of connection, then you know it because there's a sense of clarity and purpose that arises. It's not just a wandering, drifty thing. It's not the mind just kind of drifts and dithers. Oh, that's it. Suddenly you feel your heart kind of clicks and you, and you, you know you're connected to something that's, that um, is, is meaningful for you. And the more we're able to respond to that, then instead of hammering away at some meditation technique, with certainly with a good amount of loyalty and diligence, but without ta- having the courage to take a risk and open up the thing, then we can spend a long time really you know, rowing the boat, but never actually um, putting it in the water. So you want to really never get anywhere. Because the effort's there, and the energy's there, but you haven't actually haven't put the thing in the water. In the in the, you know, the real business has not been approached. Before we assume that this necessarily means a whole internal wrangle and debate, it can be just that we recognise in that moment, oh. I was expecting somebody to be perfect. You know, it's just like that, the realisation of, you know, you feel, and then you look at it, I was expecting somebody to be perfect. This is stupid thing to do. <laughs> and then, just, then you see that the, the uh, origin of suffering is through that kind of, this projection of, of uh, one's needs this thirst for um, identities, your own identity or somebody else's identity, this thirst for being something, either for oneself to be something or for somebody else to be something, or thirst for sensual objects. So then, this, then, the second noble truth is this, this kind of thirst is to be abandoned. You know, the action of the heart is, is one of release it, let it go. The expectation. We see expectation is not, is not a feature of a thing, it's a way of relating to a thing. So when you, you don't, you're not letting go of a person, you're letting go of your expectation of a person. Hmm? So that, that's, that's possible. We don't have to kind of... Uh, not have people around, not have things and situations, but to, to the, the, the tensing up, the seeking, the partaking of it, the, la- the latching onto it and asking it to, to, to satisfy us is the thing to, to relinquish. That is a, that's an activity. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a, fa- a substantive thing. It's a verbal action that we do and sustain and keep doing. Therefore, because... It is, a, it is an action, it's an arising up. It can be relinquished. We can stop doing it. So this is the, the understanding of this, to, that one can, one can check or stop the habit of rising up, rising up with thirst. And so we, that you can relate that to that particular piece of advice to 
you know, seems microcosmic, macrocosmic to the world, your body, life, or, you know, how quickly or slowly your meditation practice is, is developing. And sometimes when you, you actually relinquish, you know, your, your ideas about meditation, you drop right into the reality of it, and it, it suddenly picks up and gets going. It can be like that. No one can study and read and think and get a lot of ideas about it, which are all true, but the thought process is not right thought. It's not thought that, that when we think about meditation, it can be that we don't think in a way that causes us to investigate and inquire and relate to something. We think just in order to, to fill ourselves up, to get it all right so that we can, we can get the answers without having to go through the process of it. And then, you know, you've got to have a tremendously kind of quite articulate description of spirituality and meditation. But it doesn't relate to what you're doing. And so it becomes a kind of heavy thing. And then to, to know that with these Four Noble Truths, the dropping of expectation, the dropping of that feeding on this, this, this notion the notion of being a meditator, the notion of being enlightened, the notion of being certain, the notion of being pure, the notion of being wise, the notion of being, you know, these notions of being something, and you relinquish them. So that is that activity of the heart to relinquish this thirst to be something. And this is, of course, um, you know, this is where it gets really it's risky, because renunciation, relinquishment is always a challenging business. And when you're getting down to relinquishing being something, it's very challenging. Because to relinquish means that something that was holding you up, that seemed to be your support, even though you, you, you know, it was just a, something in the future or something, an expectation or a hope or an ideal, now you're putting that down. Now what's there instead? All that you know right now is that What's there when certainty goes is uncertainty. What's there when the image goes is a blank space. So what's it like, you know, when you've got an idea or a feeling, you know, particularly uh, when you make commitments to this path of being pure in mind. You know, you really want to be this, and it's the right thing to do, and then, and then you know, it's not happening. You know, you're, you're holding stuff back, your mind is still getting turgid, and then just to relinquish that, the need to be pure. Think, oh, no, I can't do that. It's a terrible thing to do. And then just to, but to, just to drop it, drop that thirst, that need to be something. It doesn't mean that when then we decide we're going to be impure, as some directing activity, or we approve of, of impurities. It's just relinquishing the need to, to be that way. So then suddenly, what happens in my mind is that the mind drops out of the, the experience of creating notions into the reality of a situation, and the impurity relaxes. So, to some you know, example, doing walking meditation and walking up and down, and a feeling of, you know, worrying about it, whether you know whether one is developing this factor or whether does walking meditation really lead to the fourth jhana or not? Fourth jhana, really concentrated, and you, you know, they quite, you know, know all this stuff, and then thinking, should you be aware of your your feet? or the body posture, or the state of mind, or the elements arising and ceasing. Are you really there yet with that? And then, you know, and just noticing that, that, that the mind actually getting quite worried, and this impurity, the impurity of worry and restlessness, is a very common impurity. And then walking up and down, then deciding just to be hopeless at it. So that you think, oh, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't. If you never do anything at all, just walk up and down, without developing and cultivating anything at all, 
just walk up and down because why not walk up and down? <laughs> and then the mind stops, gives up, and then there's this feeling of kind of the mind, then there's a space, a sense of peace, and one is actually with walking rather than with the notion of walking or with the idea about walking or with walking as something that's going to get me enlightened. You know, you, you drop into the reality of the experience rather than into all the mental constructions around it. And impurity is a mental construction, it's not a, it's not a reality at all. Impurities are things the mind uh, dresses and paints onto experience through its frustration and its fear and its uncertainty. It comes out of ignorance. There's no such thing as a certain ultimate impurity. <clears throat> if you so that this is something to, to remember in terms of relinquishment. You're only relinquishing fantasy, you're not relinquishing reality. Fantasy gets so strong and loud that you start to believe in it. So you think, unless I have a good fantasy, I'll drop into a bad fantasy. So I've got to keep fantasizing about awakening and enlightenment, or else I'll drop into that, you know, corruption and impurity. But, you know, the, the beauty of this is, is that the mind, is that all... All, in, all the uh, worry and, and confusion and upset and stress and tension is, is based on ignorance. It's on not seeing things clearly. It's not a reality at all. It's a dream. So then to, to the act of relinquishment is like the daring to decide to be fully conscious of ignorance. So it's all right, you know. Okay, if, if, the, you know, if I can't meditate, then just to be with this rather than trying to kind of clean it out and get rid of it. So that, and in, that can be um, something that suddenly, you know, be, be, how, can you be, how can you be consciously ignorant? It's, it, it's like, how can you, I would like to see the darkness or so turn the light on so I can see it better. <laughs> the very act of, of being fully conscious dispels it. And with it, Ignorance being the prime cause, the prime mover, the prime creator of all these festerings of agitation and worry and doubt and restlessness and fear and grudges and so forth and, and, and craving. Then if that ignorance is dispelled, then the others, uh, the whole thing goes. So the act of relinquishment is, is something to be clear about, to know in this scanning of the Four Noble Truths, what is the point to relinquish? Where does, where does Dukkha arise? And that point where it arises is the point to give up, to let go. It is to be abandoned. So the Third Noble Truth is realization, and this means that... that the, that, that process of, of understanding and abandonment and, what, and the, the state of, of having abandoned is to be fully appreciated, fully realized. It reminds me that um, one of the uh, gestures, if you like, or the, one of the trainings of the heart that gets overlooked is the is the faculty of enjoyment, appreciation. Um, and I connect this to to the third noble truth that to enjoy something is to dwell in it. To, to feel it out, to, 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 to partake of something that's, that is pleasant or liberating or free or loving. Not just to, to, to be doing things all the time, but actually spend that time to actually to enjoy and appreciate the goodness. And this, so this faculty to be developed. And like the others, these are, you can, uh, when you, when you begin to see that the, Say that the quality of of um, full knowing, direct knowing, is weak in you. That which that which would make the first noble truth come alive for you is weak. Then you have to develop the sense of directly knowing something. 
not just thinking about it, but directly knowing it. When you see that the faculty of of abandonment, relinquishment, letting go is weak in you, then look at opportunities and ways in which you can strengthen that particular faculty. When you recognize that the, the faculty or the practice of abiding, enjoying, appreciating, realizing is weak in you, then the thing, then the there are ways and means to cultivate that particular experience. And the fourth noble truth, the path the culti- is to be cultivated, uh, has been cultivated. That, so this, uh, this reflection on the fourth noble truth, the eightfold path, it's not a, a kind of snap your fingers thing, it's, uh, or just do it sort of thing, it's a cultivation. And that's a very good um, word to use. When you cultivate, it generally implies, you know, finding a seed, making sure the seed is a good seed and not a dead one or a rotten one, planting the seed, watering it, caring for it, warming it up, giving it time, a bit more water, giving it time, a bit more water, giving it time, keeping the pests away, um, you know, letting things grow. It's a whole process of continuing attention in a in a in a nurturing and supportive way. Yeah. A path is to be cultivated. So the right view, you know, if you, when you come to this Buddhism through meditation, you've got to remember that the, the meditation is like you're looking at the flower and the fruit, but they, they, you, they're not going to happen unless you cultivate a root and a stem. And so that the, the, the right view, right thought, right action, right livelihood... You can't meditate without these, in in you know in, in a purposeful way. You can have fluke spiritual experiences, but as a sustained meditation path, you've got to have a foundation. And so these things are worthy of attention to be cultivated, to cultivate the roots of it. A sense of systematically, this thing is not necessary. Refrain from it. This way of speaking is pointless. Refrain from it. This way of acting is good. Do more of it. Like that. Hmm? Systematically. So then, just to give some examples again, when you direct knowing of something, is... You can take anything, you can take just a simple object, like a stone or a pebble, something like that, a very humble thing, and really look at it so that you directly know it. You, you see it beyond interest, beyond function, beyond naming it. You really directly know it so, so that this affects the way your mind relates to something. So often you can see a pebble, you know, a pebble, you don't even notice it. Or, um, you know, or it's a pebble, so what? You know? Well, it's not a very pretty one. Or, what's this got to do with me? Or, I've got other important things to do. But then just, if you, you know, the mind can do that, can quickly assess something and then decide whether it's interested or not. This is not the way of direct, of fully knowing anything. Fully knowing something means you, you have to stay with it beyond immediate um, acknowledgement, beyond immediate classification, beyond function, beyond... Well, how good you think it is. You have to give to it, mm-hmm. open up to it. So you do some. So with something like an object, like a pebble, and you spend an hour really looking at it, and and resting your eyes in it, and you're just developing that particular uh, faculty. So so you, you you're prepared to really give a lot of attention, and not in a in not, in a, not in a way that has an immediate, seemingly immediate purpose, but just to strengthen the attentive faculty. Not to think more about it, but strengthen the, the sense of attending, giving attention, tendering the mind, making the mind soften around a particular object till the effect is, you know, is more not that you know the object anymore, but you, your mind has changed its, its, its energies and its ways of acting. It becomes open and soft and malleable. It's not in a hurry. It doesn't make bland, generalized judgments. So then if you can do that, you're more able to, when you're experiencing feeling or body or breath 
when you, then to just to, to stay with them and open up to them and take them in, let them speak to you. When you experience suffering, instead of immediate knee-jerk reflexes, oh, this, that, the other, why me, how do I get rid of this? What is this about? How do you enter into it? Fully know it, what it is, examine it, so that you can get the teachings from it. Doesn't you don't get the teachings from these things in a, you know, in a kind of instant way? Dukkha is one of the old-fashioned teachers. You know, to sort of sit with them for ten years before they say anything, do you? <laughs> Check out whether you're worth teaching. The monasteries are really, uh, uh, the idea of forest monasteries are like that. The, the suffering is not immediately, you know, solved with a pill. You don't really turn up and somebody just sorts everything out for you to kind of show that you're worthy of it, really, by being prepared to open up experience and experience suffering, to be willing to suffer. Not in some kind of masochistic way, but so, you know, I've got the faculties that, that mean I'm, I've got the kind of long term plan in mind the mind is capable of receiving this working with it then then one is going to take a teaching relinquishment to relinquish dukkha to relinquish is actually our most treasured possession the thing that we fondle continually is suffering the thing that we always have time to suffer you never neglect it it's your favourite pet the most treasured possession. The thing we love to give to other people, too. <laughs> <laughs> so how to, how to relinquish it? You know? And so the, the faculty of relinquishment is something to cultivate, how to put something away. Busy, just stop doing it. Important, urgent. Stop doing it. Relinquish it. Yeah. Got to get this done by the... Let's stop now. You know what that feels like? <laughs> Relinquish it. Well, yeah. oh, there's just five minutes more, then I'll get it done. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, does it? Because if you do get it done, then you want to think, oh, then tomorrow I can see. <laughs> So just uh, how to relinquish this is a thing that goes much deeper than just kind of giving up an evening meal or something like that. It's that those compulsive habits of mine of getting sorted out, making them right, getting them finished, and just just learn to relinquish for no other reason than to develop relinquishment, develop that that when the mind is you know desperately holding and and it's in full flight, how to just stop. Let it go. Monastic routines, the idea of those is to do that. And the, the you know, bell rings, you stop. Time to stop doing this. Day of silence. Well, I mean, it's not a bad gesture. Of course, the mind can still cook away inside and hum along. You know, try to make it so that when we have the meal together, the idea is that you just stop, stop for the meal, and then you know, really go through the meal and tidy up after the meal. And yet it's so strong, the habit to come in, so okay, you can eat the meal, but you can see it thinking. <laughs> and then as soon as the meal is finished, you go, what do you think about it? Well, we have a bit four by nines and six of them, and we're going to do the letters and answer the phone. Actually, you haven't really stopped, you just kind of put a, put a wrap over the top of it. But how to really relinquish the, 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 the urgency uh, so those things are a good thing to cultivate because you know just getting knowing how to do that so that then one is more capable of knowing how to relinquish the dukkha rather than hang on to it blame somebody for it blame yourself for it wonder how you're going to get rid of it why should this happen to me just relinquish it it arises through expectation or through denial through wanting something through wanting to be something you can stop that.
enjoying re- realization is about like you know, comes through that the mind is is trained is a bit more docile it's not so wild and and self-important with all its kind of agendas and projects it's able to stop when it's able to stop when you've made it learn it trained it to stop its its fashionings and its fabrications then how to dwell in that in the sense of an awareness that's just soft and it's not going anywhere it's just here rather than you want to do something about it or even figure it out is to, to when the, you can feel the mind when it shifts from being in a some kind of propelling mode into just being a sort of a, a, a state of of awareness. How to how to dwell in that enjoyment of the faculty. And this is something to to cultivate in the in the in in life. To take something small and really appreciate it. Spend time appreciating yourself. Enjoying yourself. Having joy in yourself. Having joy in your goodness. It doesn't mean it's sensual gratification. It means to take joy in your existence. Take joy in, in the fact that you, you know, you have noble intent. You have good intent. You're a very sp- specific and unique kind of being. I mean, it's not everybody's unique, so there's no, nothing to get kind of vain about, you know, everybody's unique. Just that, that so this is, this is really interesting. There's a sense of, of joy uh, in, in, in the way our karma manifests. Cultivation means to get that, that, that sense of, of kind of systematic process around the way that we act. You know, this requires thinking about it, requires a bit of strategy, requires planning for it, means responsibility. These kinds of, of, of ways of considering how one works, how one gets to know people, how we uh, live together, uh, and so on. It's not something that just kind of hit it off in one, one go. It means you have to be patient. And, and investigate and question and respond and see what's lacking and how to develop it and see what's what's needs to be cleared away. Cultivation. The gardening experience rather than the building experience is probably a better way of looking at it. Because it does mean that it's not just what you do, it's also the the ability to give it things time and then see how it's going and respond to the, how things have developed from your first efforts. So that continually checking, uh, you know, cause and effect. And if we do this in our, in our um, daily life, like, how do you work in a relationship with other, with other people? Is it just you immediately like or dislike or okay, we were getting on well yesterday, now something's gone wrong. What was that about? Yeah. It wasn't that we weren't getting on or something's gone wrong. What's happened there? So you're getting, you know, like getting some feedback on how things are changing so that you 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 know, it's not just a matter of what you decide to do, but also how the other things, the work or the other people or the community or how, what's happening there and how to adjust to that, how to learn the messages from it so that you can cultivate. Cultivation is, is, is always something that's sort of like where a plant grows. It doesn't just go straight up. It bends and it flows. And it kind of twists and curves and it, it, it kind of turns slowly towards the sun. It's not like a straight line. Cultivation is rather like that, yeah how to adapt, how to, to learn, how to strengthen this and relax that. So these are things to consider in this, these Four Noble Truths. Mm. And you can, uh, it's, it's a very kind of, it's a, it's a the Four Noble Truths are a kind of a, 
you know, a toolkit that then takes you into from externals to uh, external affairs to internal affairs from things that are fairly um, obvious to subtler effects, subtler areas of the mind. So as you realize a certain degree of, of clarity or steadiness or calm, then, you know, like in your meditation, then you, you say you are settled into the breath or you are settled in your meditation object, you are cultivating it, and then you still can detect, huh, ah, there's a little bit of too much pushing there. Or there's a little bit of not wanting to be bothered there. A little bit of kind of dullness there or, you know, drifting off there. And then, so that this is still unsatisfactory. It's still that sign. And then you see, so you, you continually refine it. And the relative degrees of, of happiness or calm and clarity act as the foundation. Because it's only when one has some experience of a lesser lesser kind of suffering or, or a, a relative degree of happiness that you're able to to understand and, and recognize dukkha. Uh, so that the path then continues to, to progress and take you on. So after this for your reflection. <clears throat> 